We are going to be reading from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. It's on page 940 in the Bible in the seat in front of you. It says, starting in verse 18, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't do, what I don't want to do, I am not, am I, sorry, excuse me, I am not the one, really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Thank you. You may be seated. Allie, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? It's good to see you in church today. Uh, I want to start by asking you a question. I don't want you to answer it. I just want you to think about it. Here's the question. How would you spend 24 hours a day? How would you spend a day if you knew and felt like you were completely loved by God? Like no insecurities, no doubt, uh, no pressure to perform. You got to earn anything. You know, don't, don't, have to, don't have to be on your best behavior. Like you know and you feel that you are 100% completely and truly loved by God. What would that day look like? I want you to think about that for a second. For the past five weeks, we've been talking about the uh, formative influences that shape us. We've talked about our family of origin and trauma and culture and relationships. Last week, Pastor Katie did great with that. And today I'm ending this series talking about habits talking about habits, the repeated actions of our life. And for those of us who are Christians, we put our faith in Jesus, and hopefully we have this dramatic, life-changing experience. I mean, it, the Bible describes it in terminology like going from death to life, like being blind but now being able to see. I mean, these are dramatic experiences that happen to us as human beings spiritually, internally in our souls. And so we, we come to Jesus, hopefully having these dramatic experiences. But if we're being honest, most of us would say in real deep frustration that we're not that different or our lives are not that different or our repeated actions are not that different than the life that we had before Jesus. You know, there's, there's different degrees of difference. But in those rare occasions where there is someone who comes into the church, puts their faith in Jesus, and, and becomes a dramatically, drastically different person, we, we hold that person up and we go, oh my gosh, look, like, it worked. Like, they're really different. And it's this exception because for most of us, we would say like, yeah, you know, Jesus has helped me in some areas, but I would not say that my life is, is, uh, 
is drastically different than, than the life that I had before Jesus. Now, there's this line in uh, the classic novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Towards the end, uh, Andrea encouraged me to read it last summer on our sabbatical, and, and I didn't want to read it. I was thinking of the movie, you know. And she's like, no, you got to read it. And so I, I read it. It was my favorite book, that, my favorite fiction book that I read all summer. And there is this line in there towards the very end when the creature is talking to Robert Walton, who's the narrator, and Dr. Frankenstein's already been killed, and the creature has been spending years trying to find him. He's been obsessed with chasing him down and, and finding him. And so the creature is talking to Dr. Uh, Walton, and this is, this is what he says. I want to read these words to you because I think they so perfectly sum up where so many of us feel like we are today. The creature says to Walton, he says, I knew that I was preparing myself a deadly torture, but I was the slave, not the master of an impulse which I detested yet could not disobey. Urged thus far, I had no choice but to adapt my nature to an element which I had willingly chosen. When I read that this summer, and I I, I knew that um, there was so much about that, that that related to our faith and our walk with Christ. I think so many of us could say what the creature said, that we feel like the slave and not the master to the impulses in our life, that we detest. We don't want them in our lives. We don't want to do them, but we can't seem to disobey them. And we adapt our nature to an element that we had willingly chosen. And I think so many of us this morning could look back at a time in our life where we made choices that seemed like choices. But somehow those choices, in the words of Dallas Willard, choices become character traits. Somehow those choices repeated, became repeated actions and habits in our lives, part of our identity. And now we don't feel like we have a choice because of the choices we made in, in, in the past. And the Bible comes along and it says that the same power that raised the dead body of Jesus Christ out of the grave lives inside of you and me if we have put our faith in Jesus. Now, this is not some metaphorical, symbolic power. The Bible is saying that this is the real thing, like the real same power that raised the dead body of Jesus lives inside of you if you put your faith in Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. And that's power. When I was a kid, we'd go to camp and somebody would always bring a battery and a pole and we'd hold hands and like touch the battery and then, you know. And that felt like a lot of power, okay? I was like 13, I felt like a lot of power. That's not power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you and me. But yet somehow, even though our faith is in Jesus, we feel so powerless. So powerless. Why is that? How could that How could that be? And the answer is because of the way that we have been shaped. The way that we have um, been shaped. And so we have this relationship with Jesus, and we want to be a different person. The Bible tells us that we are a different person, that we can be a different person, that we can be who God has created us to be, and we can be this new uh, creature, but we have our past experiences and hurts and habits and hangups, and they just don't magically go away. But we have something different now than we had before. We have the help of the Holy Spirit filled with the power of God. 
But there's something else. There's something else that the modern Christian, and I'm including all of us in this, there's something else in there that the modern Christian uh, doesn't totally grasp, and it's part of what makes the struggle of feeling like we don't have a choice in things um, so real. And that is the idea of practice. That, that becoming who the Bible says we can be and becoming who God says we can be is not something that happens to us just because we become a Christian. That grace saves us, but grace does not make choices for us. That it is faith in Jesus through grace that makes us a Christian that we can take no credit for or have any account for. We didn't do anything. We cannot do anything to earn it. We are saved through faith by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are a Christian because of our faith and what we believe. But we grow and we heal and we change through practice. Through practice. Everybody say practice. Now, I don't have time to sum everything up, but we have said that you are who you are because of the stories you believe and the actions you repeat. And the stories you believe is, is from your past. It's your family and it's the trauma and it's the culture. And the actions you repeat are your relationships and, and, and the habits and those things shape our deepest desires and our deeply held beliefs. We've talked a lot about this and they'll throw the image up. We've looked at this image a lot, the structure of self and soul. And what we do up in our public life comes from the deepest parts of who we are. And those are shaped by our stories and our repeated actions. And so we have this new heart, but our old desires and beliefs, and we want to change them. We want to change them, but we feel so powerless. We feel so powerless. And, 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 and so we keep coming to church and we keep trying to muster up faith and we keep trying to kind of get a spiritual zeal to help us keep going. And none of those things are wrong But if we want to change and we want to heal and we want to grow, the answer is in our habits, specifically our spiritual habits. This is the practicing part of Christianity that I'm talking about. And it's not rocket science. No one in the room would argue with me today if I were to say to you that there are certain actions that we do on purpose that will make us feel closer to God and make us feel more full of God's presence and power. It helps us to be more like Jesus. If I said to you there are certain actions that we can do to make us feel closer to Jesus, more like Jesus, have more power and peace and God's presence in our life. Everybody go, yeah, there are actions we could do. And if I said, but that also means that there are actions that if we don't do them, we'll be less like Jesus, we'll feel less close to Jesus, we'll have less power and peace in our life. We'd go, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And so the question is not so much, what do I need to do? We will talk about that. The question is more, why don't I do the things I know I need to do? I think, I think, Jason, if you gave me five guesses, I could probably come up with three or four of the things you're going to tell me I need to do. That's not the problem. The problem is when I need to do them, I don't want to do them. And all the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And that's why this scripture that Allie read for us today, our, our scripture for today, is so encouraging because the Apostle Paul, who is one of the most influential, important figures in the Christian faith, says to us, that he struggles with the same things that we struggle with. He wants to do what's right, but he can't. He wants to do what's good, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to do what's wrong, but he does it anyway. anyway. And we can all relate to that. 
The question is why? Why don't we act like this new person that we can be after we meet Jesus? And he tells us in verse 23 that there is another power within him and us that is at war with our minds, and this power makes us a slave to the sin that is still within me. This is, this is important for all of us who are trying to follow Jesus. That Paul says that tension that you feel is because, yes, you have become a Christian, and yes, you are filled now with the power of God, but there's another power inside of you. And that power is not going to go away until your life is over. It can be minimized. It can be turned down. It can be overcome in a lot of ways. But there are two powers that are waging war inside of you. And this is an important part of the Christian life. Coming to terms with just how flawed and sinful you really are. Most people are okay with putting themselves down. No one tends to think that they're, you know, Uh, more spiritual than they are or perfect, even though they may act like it. Very few Christians will say, like, I don't have any problems, I don't have any struggles, even if they act like that. But very few Christians ever allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep enough work in them to come to terms with just how broken and sinful they really are. And 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 the problem with that is that that means if they've never come to terms with that, that means that every attempt we've ever had to come to God has not been actually our true self that we're bringing to God. It's been a false version of ourself, not on purpose, but we're not even coming to terms with who we really are. We keep bringing to God the version of the person that we think we have to bring to God in order for God to love us and not be mad at us. And we've never truly come to terms with how inherently flawed we are that we are not good people who make mistakes. We are flawed people who have to fight to do the right thing. I want you to think about that for, for a moment, about how flawed you really are. Because you know you. I mean, we know, we know a side of you, but you know you. You know you. Did anybody have to teach you how to be defensive? Did somebody sit you down one day, one day and say, listen, if you want to be defensive, here's what you need to do. Did anybody teach you how to be dismissive or busy or angry or jealous or fearful? No. No, these things are inside of you. And my point is not to discourage you. My point is what I'm trying to do is explain this power that Paul is describing. And what I want to do is help you come to terms with what's true about our human nature. That that sin that lives in you, while it can be minimized, will never completely go away In this life, there is a sinner version of you and there is a saint version of you once you put your faith in Jesus. And these two identities are waging war with each other. And I'm gonna throw an image up on the screen for you just so you can kind of wrap your head around what I'm saying because it's important. We're gonna talk about repeated actions, but we can't get to the repeated actions until we recognize the tools that we're dealing with. And there are two versions of us fighting. There's a sinner and a saint and both things are true at the same time. That at one moment you are vulnerable, but at another moment you are defensive. Both of these are accurate. You're strong and weak, secure and insecure, kind and hurtful, peaceful and violent, loving and hateful, humble and arrogant, truthful and dishonest, trustworthy and hypocritical, able to choose but also feeling helpless. This is very important that you don't become a Christian and then embrace this denial that says, I'm really the best version of myself, but I make some mistakes sometimes. That's not a true assessment of who you are. A true assessment of who you are is that you are a a sinful, dysfunctional, disgusting, flawed person 
filled with the power of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. And you are not as good a person as everybody thinks you are. And you are capable of doing worse things than anybody in this room thinks you're capable of doing. And if you've never come to terms with that, you've never brought yourself to Jesus. You've brought a version of yourself to Jesus that you think you have to bring to Jesus. And this is the point in the message where we could say, that stinks, I'm discouraged, but I guess that is what it is. You know, I mean, Jesus loves me, I'm just a sinner, it is what it is. That's not what I'm saying, so don't hear that. No, no, what we say as people who have put their faith in Jesus is, my sin is great, but Jesus is greater. I I feel powerless to the urges and temptations that are pulling me away, but I'm not powerless because I'm filled with the power of Jesus and I'm able to live a life of freedom. We don't resign ourselves to being defeated or dysfunctional, but we have to embrace and admit that we are defeated and dysfunctional at the worst version of ourselves. And there is a power inside of us that wants to pull us down and away from who Jesus says we could be into the worst version of who we can be. And if we don't know that about ourselves or are in denial about ourselves and who we are, We will keep coming to Jesus thinking we need a little bit of grace because we're not an idiot, but we don't need all of it. We need a little bit of help because we're not awesome, but we don't need all the help. And we'll continually look down on people and elevate ourselves and never truly be sure that God really loves us because we haven't actually been honest with him yet completely. And so we're filled with the power of God, filled with the spirit of God, with the ability to live the life he calls us to live and and to overcome the things that are holding us back. But we would say, I don't feel like I have the ability to overcome. Yeah, my sin is great, but I don't feel like Jesus is greater. How come, Jason, I don't feel more powerful? And the answer to that question is because of your repeated actions. Your repeated actions. I said all of that to get to this right here, okay? That Jesus gives you a relationship with God, but your choices determine how close you feel to God. Do you hear me? Jesus gives you a relationship with God through nothing of your own effort. Jesus gives you a relationship with God, but your choices determine how close you feel to God, how powerful you feel, how healthy you feel. And there are all kinds of great books written about habits. I've read them. They're fantastic. I would encourage you to read them. But I'm not really wanting to talk necessarily about like getting more organized and losing weight. I want to specifically focus on the spiritual habits and how they reshape the way our old lifelong habits have shaped us. We need the Spirit of God to reshape us and to change our deepest desires and to change our actions. And so what I'm going to do for just the time that we have left is I want to answer two questions today. We're going to answer two of them. The first one is, is a why question. Why do we keep repeating actions that are bad for our souls? That's the first question we're going to answer. Why do we keep repeating actions that are bad for our souls? And the second question we're going to answer is, how can we change? 
How can we change? So first, let's talk about why. Why do we keep repeating bad choices that are harmful to our souls? The simplest answer that I can give you is because you're trying to fix your feelings. I'm going to give you a three-minute counseling session. Are you ready? Okay. Three-minute counseling session. We say it all the time around the church like this. I do things I don't want to do because I feel ways I don't want to feel. This is the simplest way that I could explain to you how our repeated actions are trying to fix our feelings. Let me show you another image. Uh, I call this the cycle of behavior. It's just the name that I gave it. But it's just a very simple explanation for why you keep repeating things you don't want to do. Or good habits too, by the way, but mainly bad ones. There's something you want. We talk about this all the time. There's something you want more than anything else in the world. Not a cheeseburger and a million dollars, something deeper than that. What you think the cheeseburger and the million dollars will get you. Then you have deeply held beliefs, how you believe you'll get those things. You have a way that you believe life works and a way that you can get the things that you want. And then if you have it or you don't have it, you feel a certain way and think a certain way. And then you act to either get what you need or to not lose what you need. Does that make sense? You, you have these actions and habits to try to fix these emotions and these thoughts. And this cycle repeats itself over and over and over and over and over again in your life. You want something, you have a way that you believe you get it. If you have it or you don't have it, you feel and think a certain way. And then you decide to act based on not feeling that way or continuing to feel that way. Does that make sense to everybody? Now that is, simple, that is like way oversimplified, which I like to do why we do the things we do and why we keep doing them. But every time we repeat an action that we hate doing, it's because we either don't have what we want or we're afraid we're gonna lose what we have, which is what we want. Every single thing. You, 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 you wanna figure out why you keep doing things you don't wanna do. You either don't have what you want or you have what you want and you're afraid you're gonna lose it. You're coping with not having it or striving to get it or striving to hold on to it. And so on a daily basis, this can look like What you want more than anything else in the world is respect and validation. And you're convinced that the way you get it is by being successful. And in order to be successful, you work and you work and you work and you work. And at your conscious level, you don't want to be a workaholic. You don't want to be an absentee dad or mom, or you don't want to grind all the time or have to hustle all the time. And you say you want to be more present and you say you want to be, you know, more involved and all these things. But what you really want at your deepest level is respect and validation. And you've convinced yourself that one day you'll get to where you want to go. And at that point, you'll kind of pause and then you'll do all the things you want to do. But it's working. You're climbing, you're earning, you're getting it. But then you get to where you thought you would get to and you realize either that's not the top of the mountain or you realize if you stop, somebody else is going to pass you and then you won't have the respect or validation that you want. And so you keep repeating the behavior of not being where you say you're going to be or not doing what you say you're going to do. And you spend 20 to 30 years of your life in a cycle of grinding, promising yourself you're gonna slow down eventually, but you can't ever seem to get out of the cycle. Because you want something, you believe you know how to get it, you don't have it yet, you keep trying to get it. Or maybe what you want most is companionship. You wanna feel wanted or beautiful or sexy or strong. And so the perfect romantic relationship will make you feel that way, Every time you're single, you're discontent, depressed, insecure. That sucks. So you lower your standards and you get into a relationship because being with somebody is better than being with nobody. And then, you know, you keep cycling through bad relationship after relationship 
Because being alone makes you feel unimportant, so you need the attention and companionship, which makes it impossible, by the way, to end bad relationships that all your friends are like, what are you doing? But the opposite's not going to work. So you promise yourself after this relationship, you're going to take a break, get healthy, but you quickly jump right back into another relationship because you're unaware of just how much being single defines your self-worth, right? Or affirmation. You want to be seen as a good parent. We keep doing this all day, right? You want to be seen as a good parent because you want affirmation. You constantly feel inferior. So you keep pushing your kids. You want them to be high achievers. Not for you, of course, for them. You're not trying to be overbearing or pushy. You're just trying to help them be successful. But when they underachieve, it brings emotions out of you that you don't even know where they came from. When they succeed, there's a pride that wells up in you, a superiority. You judge other families and parents so much you don't even realize you're doing it. You swear you won't do it forever. It's just important that at an early age, they get started in a good way. But you need your kids to be great because you don't feel great. So you keep pushing and keep committing to things and living and dying based on their performance. And all of this is happening beneath the surface of your life. Psychologist Kirsty Lee says, if you want to know what's happening in your subconscious, pay attention to the cycles you find yourself in. Now, is anybody tired? Because that's exhausting. And what I'm not saying is that you need to psychoanalyze every decision that you make every day. That's called narcissism. And that's impossible. And it's exhausting. But what I am saying is that anywhere in your life where you want to stop doing something but can't seem to stop, if you will pull it up and look at the roots of it, you are going to find that what's happening in the interior of your life is you're trying to fix a feeling that you don't like. And after you do that for long enough, you convince yourself it's who you are and you embrace an identity. You're a worrier, you're lazy, you're addicted, you're not good enough, you don't deserve it, you'll mess it up. And we repeat these actions over and over and over again. But that's not who you have to be, by the way. God has given you the power and the spirit to overcome, to be something else, be who he's called you to be. Not just a better version of who you are, but a brand new person. And that sounds amazing. So how do we do that? Well, that's the second question I want to answer is how do we embrace this? How do we change? How do we change the repeated actions that are harming our soul? and act like who we want to be? Well, the first question we probably need to answer is, who do we want to be? Well, if you're a Christian, we all have the same answer. If you're a Christian, who you want to be is like Jesus. It's one of the ways you can know that you've truly put your faith in Jesus is that you actually want to be like Jesus, right? And so if we want to be like Jesus, if that's our desire, That means that we have to do certain things that help us become more like Jesus. These are called spiritual disciplines, which is a bad name for it because nobody likes disciplines. Spiritual habits, spiritual practices, they're all the same, all the same thing. And so if we do these certain things, practices, disciplines, habits, it helps us to become more like Jesus. Jesus. It's anything that we do on purpose to be more like Jesus or anything that we do on purpose to be filled with more of Jesus's presence and power. And it's not magical and it doesn't happen through osmosis. It doesn't even happen through church attendance. It doesn't happen through serving on a team. It doesn't happen through uh, even good behavior and less bad things and more good things, even though all of those things are good. If we want to become more like Jesus and we want to act like Jesus, we have to do the things that Jesus did. And so this is what 
is the opportunity that lies before us. Tish Harrison uh, Harrison Warren says, the crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. That we are formed, she's saying, by the things we do every day. Our hearts are shaped by what we do again and again. And so if you were raised like me, kind of in a quasi-traditional evangelical type of environment, you kind of came to believe that the biggest threat to your life or your faith is like cocaine's demons, the mark of the beast, and a Ouija board or something, you know? Just avoid all of that and dancing and co-ed swimming, and you'll be fine, (laughs) right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about right now. That's not the biggest threat to your faith. Cocaine and demons is not the biggest threat to your faith. The biggest threat to your faith is the emotional reward you feel throughout your day based on the actions that you do. That's the biggest threat to your faith. The biggest threat to your faith is how you feel after you do the things that you do that make you want to do those things instead of the things that would make you more like Jesus. It keeps you busy and distracted and discontent and like kind of happy but not really happy but you're not really sure how you feel about it. And so we keep ourselves distracted and simulated day after day, but we don't become more like Jesus. And we keep grabbing techniques, but we're not becoming more like Jesus. And this is where spiritual disciplines come in. Now, there's no official uh, list. Jesus didn't give us an official list of spiritual disciplines, and thank God he didn't. Because if he did, we'd like worship the list, right? And we'd look for loopholes. And so he didn't do that. But historians and and theologians and, and scholars would say that there are about 15 spiritual habits or spiritual practices that we see modeled in the Bible and Christians have been practicing ever since. And I'm going to give these to you. They're going to throw them up on the screen for you. They're broken up into two categories. What historians would say are disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. Disciplines of abstinence are solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. And disciplines of engagement are study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. And when Andrew and I were learning these uh, this last year, she was like so pumped that there was a second category because the first category is like introvert heaven and the second category is like extrovert heaven. I hate the second list. She loves it. She hates the first list. I love it, right? She wants to get together with people. I want to go in the woods. And so this is nice that, that, that you know, we can have options, you know, to, to do this thing, okay? So... It's really probable that you have at some point in the past tried some of these spiritual practices before and your experience was not amazing because it's the exact opposite of the emotional rewards you feel when you do the other things that you do. And so you think, yeah, I've tried that before, but I wasn't any good at it. Well, how would you be good at it? You wouldn't be good at it unless you practiced it. And so as we look at something like, um, um, like solitude, silence and solitude, which usually go together historically, the idea of being alone, completely silent. I've, I've tried to, over the last year, do some of this, go away to different places and 24 or 48 hours or, or different things like that. And I like quiet and alone, and there, but there's still something to it that is agonizing, Right? Because it is so not the way that the world has shaped us. 
A study out of the University of Virginia showed that given the choice, people preferred undergoing electric shock rather than sitting alone with their thoughts. Study participants were exposed to a mild shock, which they all reported they didn't like and would pay money to not feel again. But when left alone in an empty room with a shocker button for up to 15 minutes, removed from all distractions, unable to check their phone or listen to music, two-thirds of men, sorry, fellas, and one-fourth of women in the study chose to voluntarily shock themselves (laughs) rather than sit in silence. We would rather be electrocuted than alone and quiet. This is just one example of how something that shapes and forms our soul and makes us more like Jesus feels awful. And the reason it feels awful is because you have been pre-programmed how up to this point to respond to stress, insecurity, anger, and boredom, or any other feeling that you have. Are you stressed? Drink wine and eat ice cream. Are you bored? Check your phone. Are you insecure? Find a relationship or, you know, get the app out or whatever. I, I got married at 20. I don't know what the apps are, but you know what I mean. Uh, are you, like, are, here's a way, here's an action or a reaction that you can do that won't make you feel that way. And Jesus shows up and says, I can help you react like me. But if you want to react like me, you got to act like me. You've got to do the practices so that when it's game time, you're ready to go. And what we want is we want to not have to put in, you know, the, the work or make the choices or the spiritual disciplines, but then we get frustrated with ourselves when we don't act like Jesus. Why, when we're cut off in traffic, do we lose it and go ballistic? Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, it's because that we have programmed ourselves to act a certain way. And so as you look down these lists, we don't have time to go through them, but I'll just, I'll just show you just a cut. So solitude is abstaining from uh, uh, social gathering, being around people. Silence is abstaining from sound, noise. Fasting is abstaining from food. Frugality is abstaining from spending money on excess or pleasures. Chastity is exp- uh, uh, abstaining from sexual pleasure. Secrecy is abstaining from sharing information that gives us a, you know, a, a thrill, being able to keep something. Jesus said, you know, when you give, don't tell anybody. And then sacrifice is more than frugality. It is abstaining from even meeting your needs for meeting someone else's needs. And then the engagement ones are exactly what they sound like. You can go down through those lists. And so each time we do these spiritual habits or practices, we are reprogramming the way that we have been shaped to respond to the feelings that we don't want to feel. But instead of Instead of trying to address that feeling with an action that was not like Jesus, we want to act like Jesus. Can I give you an example? This is Dallas Willard, not mine. Dallas Willard says that when you practice the spiritual discipline of silence, you are teaching your body that they, in your brain and your emotions, that you don't have to talk. Well, Jesus, when he was standing before the officials who were about to crucify him, they said, aren't you going to defend yourself? And he did not feel the need to talk. Now, the last time you were put in a position where someone had misinterpreted you or accused you of something wrong or made it sound like somebody that you're not, what did you feel the urge to do? Defend yourself. 
And so Willard says, every time you get away and you practice not talking, that there will come a moment when you are in your life and in around people where you will, instead of feeling the urge to respond, not respond. But the reason you're able to react that way is because you have practiced not speaking. Or instead of feeling stressed and going to food because you have fasted, you have practiced being able to say no to food even though you really want food because while you're fasting, every commercial is pizza. Anybody else? But you have you have practiced saying no to food so that you are not coping and depending on food in your normal, so to, say, so to speak, life because you've practiced it. When you feel the sexual urge or temptation, you're able to say no because there have been seasons of your life where you have intentionally said no to be able to react like Jesus. Right? And so... There is a season where we are being reprogrammed to be more like Jesus, where we don't want to do it and we don't desire it, but we do it anyway because the more that we do it, even though we don't desire it, the more that it becomes a repeated action in our life that we eventually desire. That was a lot. Did you you follow me there? Do you know how I know that's true? Because the bad habits in your life you used to not desire, but you made a choice and you repeated those choices and eventually those repeated choices became the things that you wanted to do. So why would it not be possible that even though we don't want them, we repeat the actions of being like Jesus until eventually we desire to do the things that Jesus would do? So let me end by the question I began with. How would you spend 24 hours if you believed you were completely loved by God? It's hard to even wrap our minds around that, honestly. But to the best of our ability, like if I woke up tomorrow and knew that I was completely loved by God, how would I, how would I act throughout the day? I just wrote down a little... Totally made it up myself, but just a summary of what maybe a 24-hour day would look like if, if we felt like we were completely loved by God. You'd be comfortable being alone and quiet. You would enjoy nice things, but not have to have them. You would feel sexual desire, but not feel entitled to them. You would be okay not receiving attention or applause. You would gladly give of yourself for the sake of someone else and you would be okay being misunderstood. Let me just say those again. This is just a, there's more, but I'm just, I just kind of jotted these down. 24 hours, I believed I was completely loved by God. I would probably be comfortable being alone and quiet. I would enjoy nice things, but not have to have them. I'd probably feel sexual desires, but not feel entitled to them. I would be okay not receiving attention or applause. I'd probably gladly give of myself for the sake of someone else and I would be okay being misunderstood. Because that's what Jesus would do. And so to the degree that those things are not true about me is the gap between who I am and who Jesus is. And it lets me know just how far off I am from putting the actions and the practices of Jesus in my life. So as I went through this list and you were saying like, man, that's not true of me. 
what discipline or practice could you begin to practice against everything inside of you because you don't want to do it? But what, what practice or habit could you begin to practice so that maybe that would become more true about you? Jason, I just can't be alone and quiet. Well, we know that Jesus would often get away. And so, so what could we begin to practice so that that could be more true? He said, Jason, I love nice things. Like, I, I, I got to have my stuff. I was like, okay, well, we know that Jesus was able to not be attached to the things. So what practices could we practice so that that would be more true about us? I mean, I want to have sex all the time. I, I got I to gotta take care of myself. Okay, well, we know Jesus lived 33 years and he did not do that. So what practices could we practice so that that could be more true about us? See, we could keep going on and on and on. We'd say, where we are not reacting like Jesus, I've got to go practice what Jesus did so that when I'm living my life and I begin to feel feelings that I don't want to feel, I don't react like I used to. I react like Jesus would act or react in my place. And it's possible. This isn't some grandiose like, yeah, that's what the really spiritual people do. No, it's actually possible that Jesus didn't just come to die to give us salvation. He also came to live to give us a model for what life could look like when you know you are completely loved by God. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I hope that made sense. I hope this series has helped you. But I'm going to pray for us, and um, Kaylee and the team's going to come. We're going to have communion and prayer and, and um, together, but my desire is that we would be people who wouldn't just be like spiritually affiliated, but that we would be people who would say, I want to be more like Jesus. If Jesus was in my spot, I think I know what he would do and I want to be able to do that. So spirit of God, help me to do that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Not just that he came and died, but that he came and lived to show me what life could look like. Sinless, fully loved, affirmed, non-insecure life could look like. Not a life without struggle or not a life without temptation, but a, but, but a, but a life that was full of the spirit and the power of God. And so God, I wanna, I wanna live that life. I wanna have that life. So, so, God, I pray for every person who's listening to my voice right now that we would not just be non-practicing Christians, that we wouldn't just be people who, you know, are, are saved but not free. Saved but miserable. Saved but unhappy. Saved but trapped. God, that we would be people who are saved and living in freedom Because we, we are practicing the way of Jesus. I pray for every person in the room right now that feels trapped or held hostage by habits and addictions that were choices they made at some point in the past, but now they don't have a choice. They, don't, they feel stuck and trapped in this life of, of sin and, and this cycle of dysfunction. God, I pray that today would be a turning point. God, you could, in your power, just strike us in this moment and take away all of that, but that's not what you do, God. You give us the tools. You give us the spirit. You give us the power. You give us a church. You give us friends. And you, and you call us to, to act and to choose. And so, God, I pray 
I pray that we would make that choice today and that day, today would be day one of a life in freedom. I'm not stuck in bondage anymore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.